Welcome back to the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily, hosted by me, RMD editor Chris Clow. In this show, we speak with reverse mortgage business leaders, professionals, government officials, and thought leaders to provide listeners with the pulse of the reverse mortgage industry and all of the business and regulatory realities which affect it. In this episode, I'm joined by Gail Belletti, SVP of Client Satisfaction at C-Link, to discuss the details of her origin into the reverse mortgage business and how she saw it as a potential career path for the long term. She also discusses the importance of reverse mortgage servicing, what components of servicing loan originators and other professionals need to keep in mind, and how loss mitigation options in the reverse mortgage space have been impacted by both the COVID-19 pandemic and broader economic volatility. Hope you enjoy it. Gail, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the RMD podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, the, one of the things that I love to do on this show, um, because, you know, you and I run into each other at conferences, but we're always running around. In your case, you are probably going to be sitting on a panel or you're going to be sitting in panels. Um, and in my case, I'm trying to cover every panel uh, for for our readers on RMD. But I love taking the time to you know, sort of decompress with other people in the industry and talk to them about how they got into this business, because it doesn't seem like any professional that gets into reverse mortgages ever has one single path that they take to get into it. So I've never asked you before, and you might have told this story elsewhere before, but what was yours? When did you first hear about the reverse mortgage product? What do you remember thinking of it then? And how did you find yourself with a, a career in the business? So I first heard about the product when our company uh, back in the early 2000s was um, doing due diligence to purchase financial freedom, which, as you know, is um, one of the pioneers in the industry. And I had been in mortgage on the, the originations uh, forward side for some time, and our CEO at that time approached me in 2006 to move to reverse and to lead operations for the reverse fulfillment operation, at which time I agreed uh, and learned a lot about that product that I didn't, uh, didn't know I didn't know at the time. And what really convinced me that I made the right move was one of my favorite stories and originations where a consumer advocate actually reached out to us uh, in our Atlanta office at the time and had a 108-year-old borrow, borrower with an 82-year-old son living in, in a home together who had gone into tax default. They had Their home was free and clear, um, but they couldn't pay the taxes and literally were in foreclosure. And this consumer advocate got them um, connected with our originators at the time, and we saved... Um, their house from foreclosure, which of course allowed the 108-year-old to live out her life there uh, and the 82-year-old son as well. They could afford the home. Um, they could afford the taxes given that the home was free and clear, but they couldn't do it without uh, a product like the reverse mortgage. So it was at that moment that I realized that this product offering uh, was in some cases the answer to allowing seniors to age in place where they want to be. Uh, and then after five years of originations on the reverse side, I joined the servicing operations. Uh, so in my career, um, 
with Reverse is going on 16 years now. And I realized that joining the servicing operations was just as important because we actually work with the borrowers and their heirs when they get into trouble to try to resolve that default. Uh, so it's been very rewarding from that from that perspective. That That's a remarkable story. I mean, um, take it from that story to hear that lifespans are getting longer for people, yes. right? I mean, my yes. goodness. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely are. And, and you know, when they're, when they're in their 80s, 90s, and 100s, the last thing they want to do is relocate, right? They've been in their home for so long, and they want to age in place, and that's where they want to be and live out their, their uh, later years. So the reverse mortgage is one vehicle that allows them to do Certainly, yeah, very well said. Well, um, you know, reverse mortgage servicing, it seems like, there are a lot of conversations that take place even in the industry about a lot of the specifics that that govern good reverse mortgage servicing. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about reverse mortgage servicing that you find to be the most persistent? I think that has to be that in the end, the mortgage company just wants to take the home. Much to the contrary, the mortgage lender doesn't want to be in the business of owning and selling real estate. They're in the, in the business of making loans. And to do so, to take a home and, dis, and, and properly disposition that asset is a very expensive endeavor. Uh, they'd much rather resolve the loan debt in any way other than foreclosure um, and then have to sell that asset. It's very expensive to go through the foreclosure process. Uh, and especially if the condition of the home is not good, it's expensive to sell that REO. You know, whenever you sit on a servicing panel at an industry event, like for, for instance, a few weeks ago from the time we're recording this, we just had uh, the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association's annual meeting and expo, the first in-person reverse mortgage industry conference on a national level since 2019. And uh, But similarly to that one and the regional meetings that took place this year and events that go back, uh, you know, pre-pandemic times that we sat on. And I think the virtual events, you got a fair amount of questions, too. It always seems like those events go into overtime because loan officers have so many questions that are related to servicing specifics. Uh, and, you know, brokers come into that equation, too. Uh, and I'm sure that other segments of the business do as well. Why do you think that is? Why is this topic, uh, why does it require so much additional clarity on the part of such situated professionals like yourself? So a couple of reasons. One is originators are mainly focused on originating that loan and getting to the closing table, as they should be, right? There's a lot of information they need to know to get to that point. But in my opinion, they need to know more about the entire process, especially what happens after a maturity event happens and after the loan closes, because the more they know, the more confidence they'll be able to instill in their customers about the product and that the product is a, is a good fit for their situation. Secondly, we've got um, new people coming into the industry all the time. So reiterating all of this information is important. It's important for everyone to understand the resulting outcomes of a reverse mortgage when they put a borrower into one and to make sure it's the right path um, for them. And families and heirs need to prepare for the inevitable. 
and which is why why we at C-Link pr- partner with our clients, our lender clients, to make sure that they're educating their staff, especially loan officers, about service, servicing and what happens after the loan closes. And it really should be, for a borrower with a reverse mortgage, it should be part of the conversation they have with their family. You know, what's going to happen when I pass away? Just like they go over their assets and you know, who gets this, that, and the other thing that they own when they pass away, they should have that discussion at that time. What's going to happen to the loan on my home and how how they need to be prepared to deal with it. So if a, if a loan officer who builds that relationship with the borrower initially can help them to have that conversation, uh, it's a better outcome for all involved. Sure. Yeah. Well, I asked you about the most common overall misconceptions about reverse servicing, but what about when you answer these questions at conferences? What do you find are the most common misconceptions among reverse mortgage professionals themselves? I I think that reverse mortgage professionals uh, don't understand the timelines required. You know, there's always two sides to every story, and we will hear that you know, my borrower or my heir has done everything you've asked them to do, which may be the case. But when it comes to a maturity event, and especially when a borrower has passed away, um, the first thing on their mind isn't resolving the loan debt, right? They're dealing with a lot of different dynamics in the family. And so having a sense of urgency to make sure that they reach out to the servicer and make sure they stay in touch with the servicer and understand the requirements and the timelines is important. And it would be helpful if uh, everyone in the industry could familiarize themselves with that. Now, there are a number of publications out there um, listed on our website at C-Link, uh, as well as on the Normala website that will help loan officers and borrowers alike. Um, publications that have been written by HUD and the CFPB and by Normala and the uh, Normala servicers uh, as well, such as uh, How the Heckam Program Works and HUD Senior Page. Those are HUD publications. The CFPB has a plain language a document says you have a re- that is titled you have a reverse mortgage know your rights and responsibilities and i find that's very helpful and i know of a number of loan officers who give that to their borrowers at closing which is helpful there's also a discussion guide out there on reverse mortgages and preventing elder financial abuse um, published by the CF- cfpb and then uh, with regard to Normala, what you need to know about your HECM after closing and what do I do when my loan is due are two publications that uh, are very helpful as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I know that some reverse mortgage professionals uh, might look a little sideways at some of the literature that's presented by the CFPB, but in your capacity, do you find it factually sufficient and, and, a, and a good source of information for people? Yes, in general. Now, there's always going to be nuances to every situation, and that's where it's critical that the heirs or the borrower in default work with their servicer. Yeah, excellent. Great. Um, Well, I know, too, that very much like you said, reverse mortgage professionals are so focused on what they do day in and day out. Um, So they don't really always have the bandwidth to understand the way that some of the other mechanics of, of the product's life cycle works. What do you think reverse mortgage professionals should know most about the work that you do specifically and the work that is facilitated by C-Link? 
I think what professionals in the industry need to know about servicers is that it, it, at the end of the day, our job is to help that borrower stay and an age in place in their home and resolve their default when they come across the default, whether that's a T&I default or the last remaining borrower passing away. Uh, I think it's important that they know that we are there to help and advocate for them and to avail them of whatever loss mitigation is available to uh, in that situation and also to help them with um, any extensions of time that could be available for whatever reason. I know you know that um, as a result of the COVID pandemic, HUD released a lot of moratoriums and waivers and uh, extensions of time to help seniors and their families through the challenges that that pa pandemic presented, which uh, were varied and wide. And so um, we are our job there is to help borrowers take advantage of whatever loss mitt options are out there and available. Yeah, certainly. Excellent. We'll appreciate the information, of course. Um, what would you say is the most pressing issue that you and, and your colleagues are facing at C-Link at the moment? So, given that the pandemic required such a significant effort to really retool our business, we had to figure out how to maintain focus on everyone involved, and that included our clients, the borrowers, our internal employees, our business partners like our vendors and our attorney networks. Um, all of the companies and all of the above were forced to quickly adapt to a very different work environment during what was really a national and worldwide crisis. So the work environment for most companies today looks a lot different than it did before. So the biggest challenge, I think, is making sure the entire ecosystem, right? All of the players in that ecosystem, if you will, are engaged and they stay focused to reach those same results, which again is helping our, our borrowers. Um, the second challenge I would say that every company faces is keeping up and managing ever-changing federal HUD state guidelines um, and to provide proactive communications to our clients and to borrowers when those guidelines change and impact them. So it's it's constant phone campaigns, email campaigns, statement messaging, website messaging, follow-up letters. There is a lot we have to do to balance um, servicing these loans to make sure we have we hold the best intentions of the borrower in mind while abiding by the state and federal guideline changes. And and it's important to the longevity of the HECM program too. We, we have to remain in compliance for the program to be successful long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, loss mitigation is a big topic of conversation and has been now for, uh, for a couple of years. How well do you think curing and loss mitigation are understood by reverse mortgage originators certainly, but also just the wider business? Sure. So one thing we've learned over time is that loss mitt is not a one-size-fits-all proposition for any borrower, and especially for a reverse mortgage borrower. Um, therefore, it's a difficult topic for people to grasp and understand. So that's where we come in. We live and breathe it every day, and it's why the servicer's role is so important in the overall program and why originators and others in the program should endeavor to understand it better. 
Um, we have just um, taken an opportunity to provide our input to HUD and the CFPB on how to improve loss mitigation in the reverse industry. So we look forward to partnering with both of those organizations to make it better for seniors and, and help it fit better for their um, scenarios. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit, because I know this is a topic of conversation that tends to come up in your panel discussions, but the role of the originator in the servicing process. Um, I know that you have uh, discussed at some of your panel appearances just how, unlike the forward side, certainly with reverse, originators often stay in contact with their borrowers for sometimes years after closing, which isn't usually the case on the forward side. At the same time, though, I understand maybe an inclination for uh, maybe a handoff to, to, to take place. But what, what do you think is the role of an originator in sort of facilitating those uh, loss mitigation and other servicing conversations that take place with borrowers? Sure. So, of course, the primary role for the originator is to um, originate the loan. That being said they make these friendships and they tend to be lifelong friendships with these seniors. So the first person the senior is going to reach out to when they get, when they have some concerns or they get into trouble with a default is often their loan officer. And it's important that that loan officer be able to share the resources that, that are in the industry for the borrower, uh, especially HUD counselors. HUD counselors are in a great position Heckam counselors to um, help borrowers. So that's the first thing they should try to do is get that borrower hooked up with a Heckam counselor um, and then encourage them to work with their servicer. And uh, all the publications that I mentioned before are good reference tools for the loan officer as well to share with the borrowers. But, you know, at the end of the day, the borrower is going to have to work with the servicer to resolve the default or the heirs will have to work with the servicer to resolve the default. So that I see is the most important part to, for the for the loan officer to encourage the borrower or the heir to work with their servicer. Um, as you may know, we're not at liberty to discuss the particulars of the servicing events on a loan with a loan officer unless a, a borrower specifically authorizes them on their loan. And um, not that I want to encourage that, because I think the servicer and the borrower or the heir need to work together. Um, but if it comes down to it and the loan officer needs to assist that borrower, we're happy to do that um, with a, a signed third-party authorization. Do you find that loan officers are... I guess, motivated to, uh, to facilitate those conversations with servicing after the closing of the loan? Or is there some friction that needs to be smoothed out? No, I think some of them, uh, I, I think for the most part, they're always willing to help their clients. Um, the one thing that's a little difficult for loan officers to realize is that there's usually two sides to that story. And if they're getting information from the borrower or the heir, it's likely not all of the information. Um, because like I said, our, our goal is to resolve the default and not go to foreclosure. And so there's no reason for us not to assist that borrower or heir in doing so. Uh, and if, if there's a challenge, it's typically because they've only gotten half of the story. And, you know, we will always reach out if we find out that there's some confusion from a loan officer, we'll always reach out to the authorized party on the account and help 
um, give them clarity. But at the end of the day, our goals are aligned. We want the borrower to stay in the home, age in place, um, and live out their life lifetime as they wish. I wonder if you might be able to speak a little bit about um, the Homeowners Assistance Fund. Uh, you and I have had dedicated conversations, uh, and you've spoken at conferences as well, about the availability of uh, this money that was set aside through uh, through legislation last year that can allow homeowners who have been impacted economically by uh, the ravages of the pandemic to uh, to gain access to additional cash to uh, to help them smooth out any issues they might have with their homes. Um, I, I loved what you said. I think it was at the Western meeting back in May. You said you guys have used everything but homing pigeons to, to get, to <laughs> yeah. get the word out about the half fund. Um, how has that been? Go- has the, the situation there improved at all? Is it sort of situation normal? I know that some States have reauthorized half funding recently. How is that, uh, coming together at the moment? Yeah, so I think that the the program, um, the administration of the program, I think we have found our, I think we have found a way to operate with these states that uh, is finally seeing some real differences. We have collected over $2 million now uh, on behalf of senior borrowers at C-Link. And yes, the half program, you know, was originally $10 billion, almost $10 billion awarded through the American Rescue Plan Act uh, to the states. The challenges with the program is that every, it was like you were administering 50 different loss mit plans because all of the states had different rules, different guidelines, and different processes. Um, some hired administrators, professional administrators who have done this before, some use different state agencies. Um, but across the board, the majority of them we're not aware of reverse mortgages and um, the nuances involved. Like, you know, there's no payments required. So how does a reverse mortgage borrower get into trouble? How can we help them? Um, I've explained that a number of times uh, to different states. In fact, right before this call, I just had a call with a state half administrator to help them understand how they could help the borrowers in their state. Uh, so, but at the end of the day, the program was very important to our demographic. So we did what we needed to do to get in a flow so that we could help these borrowers. And I think we're finally there. So we know which states um, we can help borrowers through. We reach out to those borrowers. We're constantly communicating to them through um, outbound phone calls, f- uh, statement messaging, letters, uh, email campaigns, website campaigns, you name it, anything we can do to get them to apply for those funds if they're eligible. And uh, I think it's finally starting to catch on. Also, uh, the administration, FHA's counseling office sent some um, 40,000 notices to borrower over the summers, over the summer um, that the half program was available as well. So that helps. Any Anytime we can get a partnership um, through HUD, uh, you know, that lends credibility to the program because some people believe, some people think it's just too good to be true, right? And so you have to convince them that it is real. Um, but I think we've been successful at that. And, and I think that there's still sufficient money available in the, in the states to um, keep this program going for a while. 
you know, that brings up just the, the broader concept of loss mitigation that had to be reformulated in the wake of the pandemic. Um, how would you assess the reverse mortgage industry's involvement in and reaction to these expanded loss mitigation options uh, in the wake of COVID-19? So, you know, we had a whole host of borrower assistance available. We had COVID extensions of calling loans due and payable or proceeding with foreclosure. We had moratoriums on foreclosure and evictions. We had extensions available and still do have extensions available as long as the national emergency is in effect, um, pre-due and payable and post-due and payable foreclosure extensions. And those the uh, the time frame to get those to apply for those extensions actually expire in February of 2023. Um, there are at-risk extensions available uh, if you meet HUD guidelines, and there there were waivers issued uh, by HUD, such as a lift of the $5,000 repayment plan cap waiver and a verbal occupancy acceptance during that pandemic. We had exterior only appraisals. I think that the loss mit um, options that were given to senior borrowers um, were great and varied. And, and we, you know, we were happy that HUD heard us every time we would raise our hand and say, what about this? What about this? And, and so they were a good partner. I mentioned earlier that we have, um, just recently come up with some ideas to submit to HUD and the CFPB to really reform the loss mitigation on reverse mortgages. And some of those uh, include allowing repayment plans for T&I defaults that are longer than 60 months in length and including a um, property charges in repayment plans for an entire year rather than just 90 days looking into the future. Um, because that gives the, the borrowers a longer, a, a, a more reasonable time frame to get back on their feet. We've also commented on the at-risk extension and that it's not just borrowers that are 80 years old who have a critical circumstance. Um, 80 isn't a magic number. Uh, you know, people have life-threatening illnesses and long-term disabilities before the age of 80. So we've asked that that uh, be relooked at. Be relooked at. Those are just some of the loss mid options that the subcommittee uh, at Normala has come up with and proposed very recently to Nor to HUD and the CFPB. So we hope to hear back from them on those soon. There was a uh, the drop of a mortgagee letter to, at the day that we're recording this on on Monday, the twenty first of November, about. Uh, the ability for reverse mortgage borrowers to now buy private flood insurance if their home is situated in a, a designated uh, at-risk area. How does does that interact at all with what you do? So yes, yeah, so um, allowing borrowers to purchase private flood insurance uh, will allow the market to open up and compete, right, with the National Flood Insurance Program. It expands the market and provides really a pathway to competition. And in the end, when there's competition, the consumer's going to win. Excellent. Great. I guess the only real thing that I've got left to ask you, is there anything I missed? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think the industry, our industry audience should know about either your work, servicing generally, um, other informational resources that they can uh, find if they have other questions? So, you know, one thing I would like to comment on is that uh, 
I think we were encouraged by the administration's comments on the HECM program at the normal annual meeting. It seems like they definitely understand the importance of the program and that there are required or needed changes and they're open to hearing about that. Similarly, FHA just released the annual report to Congress for fisc fiscal year 2022 and it was encouraging with the HECM portfolio capital ratio um, increasing, improving almost 17% over last year. So that's a good outlook for the HECM program. And at the end of the day, you know, I think everybody in the industry, if, if I had my way about it, I would like everyone to approach their job, no matter what the job is, whether you're on the front lines talking to a borrower or you're a loan officer or you're a loan processor or you're processing foreclosures, approach your job with the, um, the mission of the HECM program in mind, and that is to provide a product and service to these borrowers so that they can have security and peace of mind and age in place, which has really been the primary goal of a reverse mortgage from the very beginning. Excellent, Gail. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us for the episode today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you at the next meeting. Yes, and thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity. Of course, it's my pleasure. I, I, I think that you're a, you're a natural anyway, and you have a lot of good information to share with people involved in this business. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to this episode of the RMD Podcast. Again, I want to extend thanks to Gail Belletti for taking the time to offer her thoughts on the importance of maintaining good information about reverse mortgage servicing and how she found her way into the reverse mortgage business. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of HW Media. The RMD podcast is produced by Elissa Branch. Be sure to come back for an all-new episode very soon. See you next time.